Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Zinc. I always like to start these podcasts with an introduction into who you are and what you do. And I was researching your background today, and I have to say I was blown away by the number of dimensions to what you do. As founder of Impact, you're, you specialize in coaching, thought leadership, and consultancy, all designed to enable professionals to become really clear and then leverage the value of their personal brand. And that's really valuable. But I was also really impressed with the other dimensions, such as the lecturing and the tutoring you do in higher education, to both pass on your expertise to the next generation, but force you yourself to keep current and keep your skills ahead of the game. And that tells me you absolutely practice what you preach. Petra, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. And well done in the research. Like, I don't think that any podcast host so far has gone into that level. So thank you so much. I'm very excited for this conversation. I was impressed with everything, with everything I saw. And uh, perhaps, perhaps we start with your current focus on enabling professionals to become a trusted authority. I think obviously in your previous roles around talent and recruitment, you've you've seen something that suggested to you that people need help in this area. And I'd be really interested to explore your experiences and where you've gone there. Absolutely. Now, the trusted authority is an evolution. So as you said, when I was in recruitment, I found that so many incredibly talented professionals missed out on career opportunities and pay rises. Often they didn't even get interviewed for a role that would be perfectly fine for them. And, you know, as a recruiter, as the world works, is the better you can present your candidate, the higher the chances that the candidate gets hired. And then as a recruiter, you get the commission. And with my background in brand and product marketing, I thought, what could I do to help my candidates? And initially, I kind of sold them in because I didn't have my digital tech background as such. So I asked a lot of questions and I became the translator. So I made it very easy to understand for my usual commercial decision maker, what this candidate brings to the table that my uh, client is looking for. And, you know, you can only place so many people in roles and, you know, I placed in the end about 400 people in different roles. And yet I thought, what if there is a method or a process or a system that helps my candidate to clarify what they stand for and what their competitive advantage is? Because then they can communicate it clearly and confidently to their decision makers. And with that, they can commercialize their air of expertise through a corporate role, through a board engagement, through their own business, whatever it may be. And this is what um, I actually got, how I got into personal branding. And then COVID hit. <laughs> um, it has become, you know, obviously more important than ever before. But the questions that I got asked have changed also. All of a sudden, we went from being in person and being next to each other and building a network within the industry through network events and so forth. We're going online. And at the same time, people have also started to rethink their careers. We have seen the great resignation. We have seen an influx of consultants and coaches entering that space. And at the same time, the future of work concept is also changing to flatter, less hierarchical organizations where we work more with peers and as a network of horizontal experts. So there's not the one person who's got the authority or the title to make things happen. We are all on the same level. So what does it take for you to influence, to have the authority, which is why the book and the concept is called, called the trusted authority. So you've got authority and influence by trust and with that by choice, not by title. 
And this is where we are today. <laughs> I like that because it works on so many different levels. If you're in a corporate role, and so often now people deliver initiatives and projects through a matrix where it's not that hierarchical structure of leadership, being able to state your credibility and, and work with the team that way is really important. And then, as you say, the great resignation and perhaps you know, even more likely now, everyone's trying to build a side hustle or a side gig or something that will provide an alternative level of income and, and a safety net for the unknowns of corporate life, being able to do that as well. So, so what you preach there works for different people in different stages of their lives with different aspirations. And you're right. And I think, yes, so many have now the aspiration to build a side hustle or build a bit of a portfolio career, what we call it. But at the same time, I think it's a necessity. Like we are seeing AI disrupting and changing pretty much every industry, every profession. Whatever you're doing today, you're not going to do next year, in five years, in 10 years time. So the quicker and uh, more structured, you can disrupt yourself by embracing what's happening in the market whilst focusing on what you can do best, the more future-proof you are in terms of your next steps, in terms of your career, in terms of your income. And then, you know, look at all the big, not all, a lot of big tech companies lately. They've laid off people left, right and center. And nobody a few years ago, you know, thought that would ever happen. And all of a sudden, 10,000 redundancies here and 15,000 redundancies here. It happens everywhere. So I don't think there is a job security anymore, anywhere. The only way how you can future-proof yourself is to build a brand that you are known for more than just your credentials, for more than your title. You are known for delivering an outcome. You're known for personality traits and characteristics. You are known for your story that makes it a lot easier also to pivot if you want to change from this industry into that or from this profession to that. And on paper, it doesn't make sense, but bringing people on the journey, explaining what it actually means and how you can provide value based on your background. This is what makes all the difference. And you're right. So many people have so many skills that that if you knew them in depth, you would absolutely go, I want to use them for this. I want to use them for that. Um, but they don't verbalize it or it doesn't come across in their value proposition. Mm -hmm. With the people that you've worked with, what is it that people tend to miss or tend to do wrong in communicating the breadth of value that they can offer? You're right. I think uh, what they miss the most is um, talking about their value proposition, like what's the result that you can provide? What's the promise that you can make that I get when I engage you, when I hire you, um, when I work with you? And so many focus on the easy to measure um, features. Like I've got a degree here, 20 years experience there, this certification, this award here. But what does it even mean? Like just because I've got 20 years experience in marketing, is it good? Is it bad? marketing and what like it doesn't tell me anything so i think we all have to learn how can we position ourselves as the go-to by the results that i can provide based on the experience that i've got based on the interests that i have and this is where personal branding comes in and also based on the personality if i'm a massive introvert and my biggest value is by working behind the scenes and preparing uh, documents for example and working one-on-one -on -one rather than working one-to-many then this is my value proposition that I can hone in on. And this makes all the difference in terms of also um, energy management. Like so we've got so much going on. We've got notifications and things and banks and um, commitments everywhere. 
and people don't realize what actually energizes them and what drains them based on their natural strength and their personality. And this is why so many people are burned out. It actually comes less down to time management and more so to energy management. You know, I know my attention to detail is not good. It bores the heck out of me, to be honest. Uh, it takes me forever to do a simple task, not because it's difficult, but because it's outside my genius zone. So this is all outsourced or automated. I focus on what I can provide the biggest value at. So, you know, for others, it may take two hours. That takes me 20 minutes and vice versa. Like paying a bill takes me literally two hours because I can't find the logins here and then I have to track it there. Bores me. You know, I'm already over it just talking about it. I'm not doing it. <laughs> um, even though it's not a hard task. And I think this is also our responsibility to be really mindful of where, why, to whom and why can I provide the biggest value and then commercialize it in one or many ways. So playing to your strengths is, is clearly the right thing to do. And so many people don't spend time reflecting on what their strengths are or what, you know, what people might call superpowers are. How, how do you encourage people to truly understand where their strengths are and therefore it become an area of focus? Mm, you spot on hardly anyone knows it simply because we are not taught how to identify it. Like in school, you've got the one curriculum and you go through this one um, process. Look, if you're good in math or good in English, who cares? You have to learn it. Um, so what I do with my clients is actually a couple of personality tests. So one is a brand archetype test. And I always say, this is your DNA. You cannot change it. But what it does, it, it puts language and with that logic over emotions and behavior. Like often you realize, you know, I outperformed in this role and I'm doing something similar and everything feels so heavy and difficult, even though it's kind of the same thing. But people don't realize that it's your task. People and your environments contribute to whether you are in your high performance zone or not. Like if you're doing the right type of task that align with your personality and your strengths, but then the people around you have completely different value set or the environment is completely outside what you uh, resonate most with you cannot simply perform at your very best um, so the personal brand or the brand archetype is one of the tests another one is the enneagram test like what is it that you're naturally driven by and what can you always rely on and this is just a little bit of a starter because often it's so hard to communicate and explain what it is that makes you different and what are you driven by it's like oh i don't know so it's it's a starter that we've got some words some language and also some explanations why you're also drawn to this person over that why you're drawn to this brand and would never buy this brand and then the last little audit that i would invite anyone to do is to simply list the roles that you had and then write it on a scale from zero uh, one to ten and say how much did i enjoy it and you know, don't settle on a seven because that doesn't mean anything. It's the new three, you know, the scale of zero to five. Um, and explain why. Was it fast paced? Was it the people? Was it the task? Where was it the constantly changing environment? Was it the very stable environment? Because there is a pattern. And this is also how we can identify what those transferable skills are that are not necessarily in our job description, that are not necessarily part of our education. Like when I did this exercise for the first time. One pattern was I loved to teach in one or another way. I was the youngest uh, group fitness instructor in Austria, 
when I was 15 and started teaching when I was 16. And I love the teaching part, but I thought this is completely separate to my profession, which is marketing. I can't use one or the other. But then when I had one of the roles in Australia, it was developing a learning and development program for the sales team. And I loved it so much, even though it was an official part of my role, I loved doing it. And then I thought, how can I actually make that part of my future roles, a part of my business? And this is also why I always say it's my paid hobby, teach at universities as my you know side hustle at night and on weekends because I enjoy doing it. So think of your task and your roles also, what energized you the most and why, and how can you do more of that or be surrounded by those people more than you are right now? So that feels like we've got the building of a Venn diagram there in terms of who, who I am, what my preferences are, how I tend to operate. And then what it is that that really interests me, and I guess that section in the middle is is the sweet spot where you can add the most value because you've got you've got the skills and you've got the passion. Mm, beautifully explained, and this is also really important to be the top of the game because in the end it all comes down to learning and commitment to ongoing mastery. Like there's no end game. Um, and if you think, what is it that I'm doing or researching in my spare time, even I would do it 24 seven, even if I wouldn't get paid, it gives you a good indication what direction you can get into. And then, you know, have this um, proximity principle, like who is already in there? Who could I surround myself with? Who could I learn from? Who could I connect with? Who could I have conversations with to learn what it's all about to be in this industry? Like one step leads to another. And this is exactly how we progress, how we pivot and how we change. There's a saying, how do you eat an elephant? Bite by bite. And this is exactly what we do when we tackle a new challenge. Like you're not just jumping straight in and forgetting uh, and giving up everything else that you've done so far. That's a bit too much, but we can tiptoe and experience and then go a little bit further until the ball is rolling. And then all of a sudden it's a snowball. Absolutely. So, so I'm, I'm at a, let, let's say I'm at a point in my career where I perhaps feel like I'm stagnating a little bit and, but, but I know I've got something more to offer and I come to you for help. So, so now I understand myself a little bit better. And, and I'm starting to build a picture of where I could see myself really happy, really motivated and adding a lot of value based on the skills I've got. And then I start to understand a little bit more about what that target environment is with the research, with the networking. So, I'm, so I've got to do the work. There's work for me to do. What, what comes next in terms of starting to say, OK, I know who I am. I know where I want to be. I start to understand that world. How do I get there? Mm. Good question. <laughs> it's identifying exactly those gaps and also how can I fill the gaps best with the resources, the personality, um, the time, the resources that I've got available. So if we say we want to um, get on, I don't know, big stages and speak in front of a thousand people, you're not getting there tomorrow. So we want to say, have you got signature keynotes? No. This is probably where we start. <laughs> then we put the outline together. Is this what you want to talk about? Is it what you want to research further? We validate it because often it's so romantic and amazing and clear in our head. And the second we put it out there, it's like, ooh, I've got no idea what you're talking about or it's completely different. So we validate as we go. It's this agile approach. We test, we change, we pivot and we move on. And then we start with a small speaking engagement. Who could I pitch myself to, to be a panelist, for example? I don't have to do a one-hour keynote by myself as my very first engagement, but I could be a panelist 
for an hour's conversation. And as a panelist with three speakers, you speak between eight and 12 minutes, totally doable. The next stage might be that you are hosting um, a joint workshop for, you know, a lunch and learn workshop where you speak half an hour and somebody else speaks half an hour. Like we build up on it also to validate, is it, are you committed to making it work or are you just interested? Because these are two different worlds. And, you know, so many people have this romantic idea of public speaking. You show up, you get $10,000 and then you go off the stage and get the big um, standing ovation. But how many hours in the background actually goes in there by rehearsing, by making the transitions smooth, by making visuals that audiences actually want to take photos of. Like there's so much more involved than just showing up, sounding good, looking pretty and going again. <laughs> I, we, we would all love a speaking engagement and ten thousand dollars, but but w what that's telling me is, once upon a time, there was there was two main components for somebody understanding your value. There was your resume and what it communicated, and then there was the conversation that you had with someone, the interview, that allowed you to elaborate on that. But of course, now that there's so many other tools out there that we should be using, so so public speaking, I, I guess I guess you could jump onto webinars, perhaps even launch your own. Um, what other options are out there to start to, because what this is telling me is you have to do some work to build your reputation. So you, you need a vehicle for people to see your value in action because not everyone can see what you're doing in the workplace. Absolutely. And, you know, this also, this approach has changed or been fast-tracked since 2020, since COVID hit quite significantly because initially, and this is also why I got into the trust authority principle. Personal branding was all about what I say about myself and what I want people to associate with me and what my immediate circle says about me. So it might be my team, it might be my department, even the organization as such, maybe the industry, but that was about it. Nowadays, and this is what Rachel Botsman coined the phrase reputational capital. So it's not just this two-dimensional approach to person branding, but also what others like your community says about you, whether we trust you or not, whether we engage with you or not. So how can you build the social proof by speaking, by contributing content on LinkedIn, by writing articles, by being a panelist, by being a podcast host? Like how can you make your knowledge transparent that others understand it? And this is where content curation, creation, and of course, contribution comes in. Um, so yeah, these are some of the ways how you can also build your network, you build your reputation, and with that, your career and business opportunities. That's excellent. It feels like LinkedIn is the perfect gateway for starting to build your reputation. It's accessible, free, free, it's free. 99% of people in, in corporate life any professional life are already using it what does what does good linkedin content creation and also curation look like and i want to come to curation because that's an interesting way of adding value to things that already exist but what's a good starting point for someone there absolutely um linkedin is my second home <laughs> uh, i initially used it just you know for recruitment but then i started to build my brain on it and i saw the power of it like i landed two board roles through linkedin simply because the chairs have seen what i'm doing in terms of content and they said whatever you're doing we missed it we 
we don't have that in our current setup are you interested to come on board like i've never thought of actually getting onto a board myself until somebody reached out to me and this is why i watch so much to actually be active on linkedin you don't have to be an influencer you don't have to show what you have for breakfast it's very much a professional platform and people are there to learn what's new in the industry what are you doing what um are the new products uh, what are the changes that impact my industry? So it's very much a professional platform to learn, but also to connect and to have business and career opportunities. This is why we're there. Um, one of the best ways for you to get started is to think what are the three to five content pillars that are connected with my ideal positioning? Like what is it that I want to be known for? And what are the topics that correlate to that? Because in the end, it all comes down to consistency and cohesiveness when i talk today about dog food and next day about sunscreen and then about uh, organic food it's like whatever you're doing i have no idea and truthful i don't care we can't assume that people are so much so interested in us as we are in ourselves and pick up what we are all about so the more clear and consistent we are with what we are talking about the better and the quicker we get cut through so when we say it's all about future of work right this is a big, big topic. Where can I find my niche? It might be future of work for recent graduates. That's a very different audience, a different topic that opens a new world of content topics versus future of world for um, senior executives. Very different audience, very different topic, very different tone and voice. So this already gives a bit of an indication what else can I talk about? Uh, and then be consistent to repeat those topics, but talk about it from different angles. Because often people are so worried that they run out of ideas. And like, I've never ever been able to run out of ideas because in the second you've got a bit of a strategy and the process behind it, you rinse and repeat. So let's say you could talk about the future of work trends. The recent research from XYZ says blah, blah, blah. Educational content. You can say, uh, for me, the future of work is all about blah, blah. So you tell your story. You can tell or share resources that you're using. Um, you have comparisons. Like there's so many ways to talk about the same topic, but from a different angle. I love the structure um, around the content pillars. I, th I think that's that's a key a key piece for people to focus on. What is it that you want to talk about on a repeated basis that that you know you are an authority in? What what stops people from from posting on LinkedIn? So, so you understand who you are, you've now got a strategy, you know where you want to be, you've thought about what it is you want to talk about on a regular basis, and then you, you, your fingers are hovering over the keyboard, <laughs> and, and you want to write something, but you don't want to write something, and you want to write something, but you don't want to be judged, and you, want to, you, you don't want to write it, but then you want to write it again, and, and you don't want to be too controversial. How do you help people yes. break through that? <laughs> well, you said it already. We don't want to be judged like the biggest fear is fear of rejection and online it happens very quickly but what if this person thinks this or what if they don't like me what if i'm saying the wrong thing what if i've got a spelling mistake and again it's all about us we want to change the lens and say well, how can i create some value based on my experience based on my uh, expertise that helps others that makes their day that gives them this little bit of a hint or motivation or whatever i want to stand for um, and again, people are less interested and um, consumed with you as you think you are. <laughs> They're saying nobody cares about you until you care about them. So when I say, right to be here at conference XYZ, okay, like even if I wanted to engage, 
I wouldn't know what to say. It's like thumbs up or is it good on you or have fun? End of conversation. Like think of how can I start a conversation as an authority? It's all about leading a conversation. And this is also what the future of leadership is all about. It's not having the answers, but asking more questions. You know, and nowadays with AI, especially, we don't have all the answers. Like it's a still new phenomenon in every industry and profession. So when I say, you know, interesting that last week XYZ happens, I'm curious what that means moving forward in filling your industry and profession. I'm just saying this has happened in my world. What do you think about it? It's not about look at me, I'm so good. <laughs> you know, often Australians, especially, they wanna, they don't want to be seen um, as bragging or be too full of themselves. Um, the tall poppy syndrome comes up quickly, but in a second, I have a conversation and just have that online. What can happen? Like nobody can argue with my experience, and disagreeing is not a bad thing either. I think it comes down to being respectful with the conversation, like simply slamming somebody or bullying something. Like, I mean, great 12 or so. <laughs> I think we're, we've moved on with this. But, you know, in the second you put yourself out there with an opinion, also in a boardroom, you need to be prepared that somebody says, I don't think it's a good idea. And this is why it's so important to know what is it that you stand for and is it worth fighting? And or don't talk about this topic. Like, I would never talk about politics. I would never talk about vaccinations. I don't want to get into this conversation. It does not do anything to what I want to know, be known for. And I don't even want to have this conversation with people. But for politicians, obviously, <laughs> they want to very much talk about it. So this comes down to, again, doing the groundwork, having a strong brand strategy, and then put it out there with marketing. I agree. I, I do think LinkedIn is a very respectful platform. And I think if you avoid crazy hot takes, you're, you're going to be all right. Um, and I like what you said there about make it a question because you can then build on the conversation. So it could be anything. Microsoft's launched its latest AI product. I've spent some time thinking about what it might do to my job and those around me. What do you think? Or where do we go next? And then, and then you start to build a conversation, which of course you learn from as well as building your visibility at the same time. Mm, absolutely. And even just thinking, what is it that I enjoy consuming from others and how could I bring that to my world one of the topics or the content uh, formats that always work for me is a behind the scenes when I say this is how I prepare for a keynote so I'm not saying look at me I'm so good I'm a public speaker I make it more um, human <laughs> and show a workspace for example and say this is how I lay it out and I'm using post-it notes and then I'm doing this it's like oh wow do you think she could even speak at our event like it's it's a a sales approach without being salesy and say, hey, buy me, uh, you know, engage me or something like that. So, and we can do that so easily with our phones, like simply put it on um, time lapse so people don't even see what you're writing. Like if it's a confidential information, we don't have to share everything, but they see how you walk around, how you drink a coffee, how you do something. Or when you run a workshop, we can also do that. Like there's so many ways how we can show behind the scenes without giving away any details that, that i hadn't thought of the time lapse one and i really like the idea of that it doesn't matter what you're creating it just it just provides a nice visual backdrop to then the story of this is the effort that goes into producing this output and you know and then people that are interested in that output will get to see that and they'll get to see your process and it works yeah, as a nice and, conversation starter 
9% plus also, I see what would it be like to work with you? Like I reduce my friction and potential um, disappointment because I have already a bit of an understanding how you work, what your personality is like. Because in the end, this is what we use social media for. We get to know somebody before we actually know them. And we make up most of our decisions way before we go to a shop, way we, before we actually meet somebody, whether we like them or not. So being in control over this narrative that other people should associate with you makes all the difference. Because you run a business off LinkedIn and you can, you, you can land clients from it. Do you find that the work you do and providing some accessibility and behind the scenes, that then makes it more likely that someone will say, I'm actually, I'm not, I'm not scared about reaching out to Petra. I can have a conversation and, and potentially she can help me. And it's, it, there's, it's taken a barrier away of perhaps embarrassment of approaching and, you know, not knowing what Petra is going to charge for this particular service. She's accessible. I'll go and speak to her. hundred percent. Like um, on Sunday, just this week gone, a post went a little bit viral for the first time, <laughs> to be honest. Like it has over 100,000 views and 150 wow. reposts. And, you know, I got 20 bookings for those strategy calls, which is basically my type of sales call um, in not even 48 hours. And the good thing is this type of content I put out there, it very much explains my process and my IP. And I've not had to hardcore settle anyone because the content does already heavy lifting. This is then just basically a tick in a box like, yeah, actually, let's go ahead or let's wait for a month or whatever it might be. And I think everyone can take advantage, especially the more introverted people, including me, um, to take advantage of content creation to give people an opportunity to get to know you before they actually get to know you. And this is, again, where, where personal branding comes in. How can it be so congruent? Like if we meet in person, it's exactly the same experience as if you would sh sh um, have a video of me or read my content. It's all succinct. And this is where the, the brand style guide, for example, comes in. So I'm a bit over the top. <laughs> but I think the more structure and the more framework you can give somebody, the easier it is to stick to that and also to scale your personal brand. So... My brain style guides, they also have um, words, emojis, phrases that we say and that we don't say. Like I did it for myself because I handed, especially my uh, business content to VAs. So they know exactly, we never use the eggplant emoji. We never use the honey or the sweetie approach. Like it's not my brand at all. So they shouldn't do it. Uh, and this is exactly what we also do with clients. Like how can you be so consistent and talk also in those sound bites that it's very easy to remember you and also to share you in terms of, you know, um, Michael said X, Y said, and really resonate with me. Or Alistair's saying on blah, 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 I always remember that. This is brand building <laughs> in the end. I read your post about the emojis that you do and don't use, and I, and I smiled <laughs> when I read that one the other day. And so many of us don't come from a marketing or a digital or, or a, a design background, but it's really important that we do take some even basic brand principles in the same tone of voice, write posts in the same way, use the same colors. There's some really good cost-effective tools out there now. Canva, you can either go free or you can, you can pay for the premium version, but you can kind of create everything you would ever want on that platform either for free or perhaps for $20 a month. 
that is consistent and looks like you every single time you do something. I agree. And I think, I think actually I, I know that the expectations in terms of quality of content of videos certainly um, has increased because we've got access now to software tools like Canva, for example, or any other tools. So simply not doing it is a missed opportunity because it also shows that you are professional. You take your brand serious. And, you know, there's a saying amateurs wing it and professionals prepare for it. Like way before I got paid for public speaking and keynotes, I said, I'm a public speaker. I had a speaker reel and all of that because I thought I want to make that one of my income streams and not just wing it and show up and hope that I'm saying something good. <laughs> and that makes a difference between, again, being committed to actually achieving your goal or being interested. Actually, another one of the things that you've done for your clients, which is really practicing what you preach, is you've run dedicated photography sessions for LinkedIn posts, headshots, those kind of things. You know, And it brings me back to the fact that I think people are waking up to it now, but your headshot's really important on LinkedIn. Where else do people leave opportunity on the table on LinkedIn? You know, something really easy to do that the bulk of people hmm. don't, and it would be worth it. 100%. Well, it starts with your profile that, that's optimized for what you want to be associated with um, and also what you want to be remembered by because it your LinkedIn profile also impacts your Google results. So if we Google Alistair, your LinkedIn profile would come in the first three search results because LinkedIn is seen as a trusted source of um, information. So if you've got everything set up for dog sitting and you don't want to be known for dog sitting, missed opportunity. So it starts with the three big components of um, having your headshot uh, the same across all channels that you are active and or have sim simply the account. Um, brand recognition. The second part is the header image behind your profile photo because image visuals are 60,000 times faster processed than text alone. So rather than having a beautiful sunrise or the forest that doesn't say anything if you're not um, somebody working in nature and with nature, it's a missed opportunity. So showing you're behind the scenes or a statement that resonates um, or you know, a speaking engagement that you had, anything that showcases what we can expect when we engage with you or when we work with you, and then also the headline. These are keywords that we want to be known for and also want to be found for. And then the last part that's fairly, fairly new is when you set up the creator mode on LinkedIn, you can also have this um, clickable link in your profile. And this is an opportunity to take people away from social media. Like I did a keynote this morning and I said, the one job of social media is for us to use it and take people off social media because it doesn't matter if it's LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, you name it. It's not our platform. They can shut down tomorrow. We don't own the content. We don't own the connections. We don't own the data. So if I can take them off the platform and continue the conversation through a Calendly link where we can connect and then I have their email address and I can remarket to them or I can stay in touch with them via email or downloads or to your podcast, you want to channel this traffic into your own world and onto your own channels. So these are the, the top parts. And then obviously the You Are About Me is an opportunity to tell your story. And it's not your resume. It's an extension of your resume. Like your experience obviously needs to mirror your resume. But at the same time, You Are About Me is the best opportunity to tell your story. Brilliant advice to that. And, that, and so that LinkedIn banner, 
you can create one of those that looks really good on the free version of Canva in 10 mm -hmm. minutes. And you can have pictures, text, everything. That's great. The thing you mentioned about creator mode, because I've been looking at this and considering whether I move from non-creator to creator mode, what would be the trigger? What would be the point where you'd say to someone, you should be on creator mode now? Should everyone be on it? Or is there a time where you say, you don't, you don't need to be, it's actually beneficial for you not to be? How would I make that decision? I don't think it has any disadvantages, to be honest, to be on a creator mode. Uh, what changes is instead of connecting with somebody directly and being your first connection, it is the default to follow somebody. And we max out with 30,000 connections. Like it sounds a lot, but I'm at 23,000 connections. So I'm a little bit more mindful who I follow and who I connect with. Um, and what LinkedIn wants is to give creators more of an opportunity to build a following in a community around the area of expertise. Now, another benefit is that underneath your headline, you've got the opportunity to add up to five hashtags for content that you talk about and topics that you talk about. These are ideally your content pillars. So that's another opportunity to brand yourself with the topics that you want to be associated with. Um, then we've got the clickable link, which is an incredible resource and also um, project inquiries. Like I got on Tuesday an inquiry again, and I'm pretty sure you can only have that when you have set up the creator mode. Uh, and the jury is out. I'm not sure if it's true or not, but content from creators who set it up in creator mode, their content is suggested to others and gets a wider reach. I'm not sure if it's true or not, but... You know, it's it, it's a byproduct, I guess. Anyway, <laughs> what I'm hearing is there's 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 little disadvantage to moving towards that, which is good advice. So so you're on LinkedIn now, and you're starting to really be clear on your content pillars. You're talking about things regularly. You're adding content, curating content. You're adding to the conversation, and as a result of that, people may come to you and say, "Here's an opportunity to speak, meet someone, a further opportunity to to add value and." talk about what your value proposition is if if those reach outs don't happen so or, or, or you don't get as many as you would like what would be the next proactive step that someone could take to to move it forwards beyond linkedin and look for other opportunities to communicate their value um well different ways like linkedin is obviously a great platform to start with but i would never leave it again there so um another great way to expand your reach is to pitch yourself to podcasts, for example. And this is, again, a great opportunity to practice public speaking because in the end you speak one-on-one, -on -one, but your message reaches hundreds, if not thousands of people potentially. Plus, you also see what kind of questions do I get asked? How do I answer this question? How could I answer this question better? So it's lower risk um, compared to anything else. With podcasts, Like we can edit it if we have to. On live stages, you can't. <laughs> uh, but the more practice you've got, the more confident you are with when things go wrong, that you you know, throw in a joke and you move on with your life rather than fretting and stopping completely. So this is one way to expand your reach and also build your network. And you know, you've got a podcast, which is incredible because it also helps us to build skills, to build relationships. And um, it's such an easy thing to set up. Like it may be daunting at the beginning, but once you're in, you're in and you love the opportunity. 
And then with that, you also build a skill that can add value to your current or your future role. Then you say, I've got experience actually setting up a podcast, marketing it, um, editing it. Like, you know, if the future or the current company says, you know what, we're thinking about a podcast, not sure where to start and how to get into it. Well, guess what? Alistair could actually take control of this project. So all of a sudden you could plug yourself in there and create your own opportunities with something that you started on the site. That's fantastic, I think. <laughs> Definitely. And what, what I can say through putting a podcast together and doing one to two conversations a week is if anybody came to me and said, I've got a story to tell, this, I, you know, I'd, I'd like to come and talk about my perspective on something or cover off something that I'm doing. 99% of the time, I'm going to say yes to that because it's, re you know, it's really important to have a steady flow of conversations that are happening. So I think you, you might get accepted by more people than you expect if you were pitching yourself to a podcast. I agree. And podcast is such a good excuse because especially more senior professionals, they realize they have to build a brand. They have to put themselves out there uh, and that can work in their favor. So I've not had touch wood, <laughs> anyone saying no to my invite. They may have said, I can't do it now, but what about in a couple of months? And it also helps you to get into a network and to build relationship with people that you wouldn't necessarily have. Like, even if we say, I just want to interview you for one of my white papers, like, but why? You know, there's a lot more concerns and hesitation. Whereas if we say, I give you a platform for you to build your brand, your authority is like, hmm, sounds like a plan. And I don't have to pay for anything either. Give it to me. <laughs> there's a lot of mutual benefit now it, and, and the barriers to entry have gone. And you're absolutely right. It doesn't cost you anything to come onto a podcast. It doesn't cost me anything to do a podcast and vice versa. And we're doing it for our own reasons and we're getting benefit from it. So that's a, that's a great way of having reciprocity between different creators and different people with different perspectives and different values. And, you know, it has opened up opportunities for me that I wouldn't have thought. Like when I started the podcast, that's 103 episodes ago, wow. <laughs> you know, a little while. And that's actually my third show. So I had another show that had 50 episodes, like it's, you know, another year. Anyway, we don't talk about it because it was a different era, different quality, moving on. <laughs> uh, but I reached out for my first 10 podcast episodes to some of the biggest authors and they all said yes straight away because they know it's all about reach and getting their name and their brand and their message out there. And then one of the authors, he's just published his 11th book. He invited me to his private community on Discord. So I've got now access to another network that I would have not gotten in there. And he said, because you came prepared, you asked me questions that no one else asked. I want you to be part of this community and contribute to this conversation. Like your work, your way, how you do what you do, speaks for itself like I don't have to pitch myself to be part of that but I get invited now and I think these are opportunities that we cannot neglect to create for ourselves and also when we think of how can I future proof myself how can I build a network with people that I don't necessarily know yet having a podcast having a platform that gives them the limelight and you know put them a bit um, on a pedestal not a bad thing and we can learn from those people <laughs> that's amazing what it's opened up for you so it sounds like, generally speaking, opportunities, say yes, say yes, say yes, do them, cover the ground, get the experience, learn from it. Are there things that you say no to as a general rule? 
yes, the further I get along, the more I say no to, although I'm still a, oh, 100%, let's do this <laughs> kind of person because I love variety. But I also realized that I need to grow up in terms of where my focus goes. Um, what I say no to is when there is no clear reason as to why me. Like I got any um, a proposition to be um, a licensee for Australia for a coaching program. And I ask, why me? How did you find me? How is it in uh, contrast to what I do? And said, oh, we uh, search for people who are, who've got coaches in their, um, in their title. I was like, okay, so you did a blank research. So no, thank you. Like, I don't even continue the conversation. Like, this is so blunt. And I think in 2023, having a bit of a personalization, a bit of research is the minimum that we can do if we take the the focus away from them even if it's for a couple of minutes so when there's no clear reason why me um not a little bit research i would say no and also when it's completely misaligned to what i want to stand for like if it's a, a political organization for example again or you know topics that i don't want to be associated with i say no to those brilliant what is coming out quite clear from this conversation is you spend a lot of time reflecting on yourself and where you are and really understanding what it is you want to do, what you say yes to, what you say no to, and perhaps, you know, where, where you learn new things and need to pivot and need to focus on, on something new in the future. What does a typical day look like for you in terms of, in terms of how you'd come to this uh, conclusion? I remember on episode two, I had Andy fell on. And he talked about his 4M routine on the, moment, on the morning where he does some movement. He does what he call his mind cleanse. So that's journaling and he gets things out of his head, then clears his mind and allows him to meditate. And then he has what he calls his Mozart time, which is when he spends it with himself pondering the big issues of the day. So that's his way of truly understanding himself and deciding where he goes next. What does a typical day look like for you? So I don't have um, a typical routine every single day. I've got days to do certain tasks. <laughs> so for example, because I'm such an introvert, I only do two and a half days client-facing activities. Like, this is where I do all my keynotes, my coachings, my programs, like all of those in one go. Um, then the other days, one is literally just the behind the scenes where I catch up on um, admin, <laughs> you know, sending invoices, um, but also creating content. Like I always put... a and nowadays it's like a three hours block and for me it's usually a Sunday because I don't get notifications as much no calls and it's just so much quicker for me to create um, a, a month or one and a half months worth of content in those three hours than during the week and it's not a heavy lifting like I don't see it as work necessarily even though it's part of what I do um, so what I do what has worked for me is is blocking time for certain tasks and being in this one mindset for an extended time like a three hours block for example it doesn't need to be the full day but at least you know i don't have to context switch seven times and forget what i did and what i want to do next um so that has helped for me a lot and also you know having white space in your calendar i think it's so important because for me it's all about innovating knowing what's next and you know if i want to be the ceo of my business app and you know i'm 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 quite lucky that i'm a magician in my brain archetype so I know exactly what I do 2050 and then I realize, oh dang, <laughs> it's only 2023, what am I doing the next 22 years? But being then surrounded with implementers and integrators who actually get my vision done, that's an important part. So having white space to, to 
innovate, to think differently, to reflect on, am I still on the right path? What else can I do? That's really important. There's the saying, you don't need a lot of time, but you need um, the space to innovate. And it could be that you innovate when you are in the shower, when you go for half an hour walks. And to be honest, sports and exercise is a big part of my daily routine. Monday to Sunday, there is no day that I don't exercise in one way or the other. Yeah, having that that blank time to ponder things. That's a common theme that comes out through the conversations I've had and, and all of the other media that I consume. It was really interesting that you said you were an introvert in, in that point there, which for anybody sat outside would go, well, that can't be true at all. <laughs> um, half of us are. So go attending meetups, putting yourself out there, speak public speaking, being part of a panel. It's really difficult for introverts. And obviously you have half a week where you recharge and, and, and get back together with what you need to do. What's your number one piece of advice for the clients that you have that are introverts? And they go, I, I hear what you're saying. I know how this is going to be useful, but I'm just scared to go and say hello. I'm just scared to go and appear at that meetup event. How, you know, how do I go up to someone? Mm. To be honest, I'm such a logical person. There needs to be preparation for it. Like if you've got two, three different lines that you start, depending on the situation, it takes this what am I saying, itchy feeling out of it and makes you feel more confident. And even just saying, hey, I'm Petra. Oh, nice to meet you. I'm Alistair. Like all of a sudden we've got a conversation already. Like it doesn't need to be super groundbreaking and, you know, confidence doesn't happen. We don't wake up one day and say, you know what? I'm the most confident person ever. Let's let's rock it. It's built by results. So when I say, oh, Alistair said actually hello to me too. And now we've got a conversation. I have some success. So now I build up my confidence. And next time I go to Susie and then I talk to Johnny, all of a sudden it's a lot easier and I would have never doubted myself again. Um, at the same time, you know, this is a reason why I always speak at events. I hate introducing myself to a lot of people. That drains the energy. So I'm like, I want to speak. I want everyone to know me without me having to introduce myself to everyone. <laughs> so this is a little bit of an introvert hack, actually. <laughs> That's a really strange take, but it makes perfect sense as to why you would do that. And I remember at one because of the meetup events. You speak for yourself, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can see how that works. I, I attended a meetup event that you did and, you know, very early on you took the mic and, and set up the what the rest of the evening was going to look like. And, of course, the pressure was off you then. You could enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> and that was prepared. Like, I knew what I was saying. It was not out of the blue. And even now when I do keynotes, I know the first three lines inside out that I can focus on how I deliver it. I can focus on the energy in the room and I don't have to think, oh, dang, what's the next slide or what am I actually saying? How do I start the conversation? And people remember the recency effect, like what did she say first and what did she or he say last? So having these two parts down pat in the middle, you can mess things up a little bit. But, you know, even just thinking, how can you get people on the same energy level? I ask a question, who has ever experienced blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, yeah, I know. You know, think of your first leader. What was that experience like? Oh, my God. Like we create images in people's head and can take them on the journey. And that makes them also more receptive for the message that comes next. Rather than saying, okay, so today we talk about the future of leadership. Take your notepad and let's go. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> Brilliant. On, on the keynotes that you do, I'm always interested in understanding what other people are interested in because it just gives me a bit of a, a richer understanding of the world. Who who tends to ask for you to come and do a keynote at 
your event. Is there, are there any trends? Um, well, there are three distinct clients uh, who always inquire. So these are conferences to start with, like industry conferences. I went to one in San Diego and I spoke to um, the Career Thought Leaders Symposium. So it's the industry body basically for executive career coaches and uh, resume writers. So they always invest heavily in professional personal development. So um, I spoke at the change management conference. So I plug myself into the more technical conferences to speak there. The API conference, I always speak like, who is my ideal audience? Like I wouldn't, and this is also where I would say not to, coming back to your previous question, um, if it's very spiritual or a, you know, let's just say spiritual conference, I wouldn't speak there. It's not my natural personality. It's not the type of clients I work with. So no. Um, so conferences, then companies, when they've got a strategy day to facilitate or when they've got their own offsite retreat and they need a keynote speaker to set the tone. And then universities. So they are the three distinct clients. <laughs> the San Diego one sounds interesting. What What's different about an American audience to an Australian audience? Um, well, in this case, they are all consultants and coaches. And actually this morning, I gave a virtual keynote for the exact same group. They are very dedicated in terms of their professional and personal development. Like they attend at least two different workshops and um, keynotes every single week. Whereas Australians are a little bit hesitant when it comes to coaching or consulting or investing as such. So it's, there's a lot more traction and I, I feel, and you know, it's just my experience, but there is more receptiveness to investing. And most of them are either running the business or are part of a business, but most of them pay for themselves. That's a conversation I had with someone the other night called Georgia Ellis, and I haven't published that podcast yet, but we talked about where she decided to invest in her career around 30 years ago, which wasn't that common at the time, but more people do it now. Do you find that, and you know, you've been doing this kind of business for a while now, do you find that people are more willing to invest their own dollars in themselves now? Yeah, it's shifting for sure, because the you know, there was a lot of uh, expectation to say it very um, nicely <laughs> that the company needs to look after me. No, actually, no, <laughs> it's not their responsibility. Like everyone has their own responsibility. And this is where, again, interest versus commitment comes in. Like I invested in my first coach and, you know, that was nearly 10 years ago now. And I was still in corporate, $5,000. And I thought I need to... I felt sick because there was a lot of money back then. And then when I started my business, not even six months in, I joined a mastermind and it was 10,000 US dollars. And that made me so sick because I didn't know where the next money comes from. And I was like, if I want to take this serious, I need to bet on myself. I can make this work. And it was not even 12 weeks later that I actually made back 14,000 Australian dollars. It's like what you put in, you get out there. And it just, again, comes down to how committed are you to making it work? Are you betting on yourself? Um, and do you go all in? So yeah, I do see the shift towards people investing in themselves because they see there is no job security. Um, often they also don't necessarily want to tell their employer that they are getting support. Um, so yeah, there has been a shift. 
Brilliant. What's next for Petrazing? Where do you take your business <laughs> now? Well, uh, I'm literally in the midst of collating the two businesses. So I've treated them very separately, B2C and B2B. But over the last 18 months, I've been working a lot with an investor group. And I love everything, digital technology and emerging technology in particular. So what I've been doing with this investor group, they've kind of plugged me into different scale-ups and say, coach this leader or get this person ready to pitch, um, recruit this team. Like there were bits and bobs for things, you know, for, for operations to scale the business, but not the end-to-ends. And over the last probably nine months, we've worked more closely with actually getting the product market fit right to writing the proposal to then putting the pitch together to then coaching the founder to pitch and get the money to connect investors with the entrepreneur and then build the team, recruit them, and then also build and coach their leadership team. So it's the 360 approach in terms of building and scaling um, fast growth businesses. And this is where the coaching comes in, where the talent mapping and the recruitment comes in, where again, matching opportunities with the right people. So this is what I'm in the midst of to, to merge. <laughs> I'm excited. When to you see hear what it comes first. Next. Yeah. <laughs> this is breaking news. I'm excited to see what, what comes next. Oh, thank you. Me too. But I think, you know, this is one of the easiest ways how you can reinvent yourself. It's, I don't go and become a vet surgeon. You know, I'm still using what I've got. I'm just focusing on a very particular audience and bring it all together. Maybe it doesn't work out, but then I know, <laughs> you know, I, I review in the next 12 months. Like I give it a, at least a good year to actually get some data, to get some feedback, to change and pivot and um, make it work. Just because I put it out there and nobody wants it doesn't mean it's not good. It might be that the message is wrong, that the audience is not quite right, that the offer isn't quite compelling enough. So I just treat it as being curious, gathering data, and then move on from there. <laughs> I think that's an important message. Earlier on, you said, be really careful that you're consistent with your messaging. So don't talk about you know dog walking and then talk about sunscreen. And, but it's okay to focus on an area and find over time that you perhaps double down on one of your content pillars more than the other. And that's just your natural development as you build your expertise and learn more and are able to offer more value to your clients in that particular area. I think people shouldn't worry too much about the fact that things might change. You know, you can always be true to yourself and still move in a particular direction over time. Mm, And I think this is where storytelling comes in. You know, especially now where there's so much change going on anyway, connecting the dots saying, you know, over the last three weeks, I've immersed myself so much into Bitcoin or into crypto and I'm really curious how it all works. So what I've found is A, B, and C. So I'm taking people on the journey, talk about it, because it's still a fairly new concept. I'm not saying I'm the specialist and the expert in that particular field. I'm just saying this is what I'm exploring. And the more I talk about it, the more people associate me with that topic. But when I just say, hey, they are from being a vet surgeon to now being a crypto specialist, like, huh, what? You're weird. So all of a sudden we don't trust this person because we haven't been part of this journey. We don't know why this change happened. And this not communicating, not taking people on a journey creates more um, uncertainty and a little bit worry than actually putting it out there and say, this is what I'm doing now because of X, Y, Z. Agree. It's okay to co-create in uh, or to create in real time out in the open that people can see what you're doing as long as you're transparent with where you're taking your particular proposition. 
Absolutely. This is what we call working out loud. Like I literally create three podcasts. Like it will be a bit of a series to document what I'm doing, how I'm changing, how I build my new network, how I put my message out there. All the negative stuff that has happened too in between. Like it's not just all rainbow and sunshine, which, you know, it's part of the journey, but not many people talk about that. So taking people on the journey, this is also part of the trusted authority framework when we talk about credibility building. There are three ways how you can build credibility. It's your own credibility because you've got the degree, you've got the certification, you've got the IP, whatever it may be. Other people, so the brand by association effect. I talked to Nike and because Nike is really non-respected, Petra is non-respected. So we can meet people where they are at when they have got those associations um, and then on the go and this is literally taking people on the journey you know i want to get really fit and i'm training for an ironman this is what i'm doing on day one and then i complete the ironman so i've taken people on the journey it's like oh my god you have to speak to so-and-so because for you know she just did an ironman even though i'm not a professional trainer or anything like that but simply by being transparent you build so much trust and credibility that people want to be part of the journey. And, you know, if we can put in the uh, professional world, you may have just landed your first board role, even though you are a senior executive, but it's still a first. So rather than saying, oh my God, I hope I'm not making any mistakes and I'm not saying the wrong thing. It's like, I'm so excited for my first board meeting. I read through the papers all of last week. What I found is A, B, and C. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Like, it's like, oh, wow, I'm curious what's happening. And I want to see what's what the outcome was from this meeting. Like, we, again, we don't have to give away the details, but simply taking people on the journey. What are you doing? How do you prepare for it? This is already what makes all the difference. Now that you've verbalized it, I've realized that I really do like those on the journey type communications that working out loud. And, and, and I'm drawn to people that are doing something I'm interested in and I see them going through the, the steps. Yeah, it, it's definitely something that resonates with me. Because we can live through this person. It's like, I've always wanted to know what happens in a board meeting, but now somebody does it. So guess who I would connect with or get in touch with? The person who seems a lot more, um, um, what's the word for it? Easy to, to talk to. Yeah, absolutely. And relatable than somebody who's just got all the credentials out there. Definitely. Two questions I'd like to ask before we finish. One of them, we've talked about the brand archetype a couple of times during this podcast. How could people find out more about that? That seems like it's a really useful way for you to understand yourself and for your clients to understand themselves. Where, where could I find out a little bit more about that? Um, I can send you a link. It's not an affiliate link. It's a free resource um, or you simply Google brand archetype test free. There are quite a few out there. And I think, you know, every client that I've done it with, it was always like, oh, oh. And, you know, sometimes the the names for it can be a little bit confusing. Like one of their brand archetypes is a lover. And people are like, but I'm not in that field and blah, blah. They are so worried about it. And I said, it's not about that. So it means that you put relationships first. You get to a goal by having people first approaches and not necessarily profit first. You wouldn't walk over dead bodies. You have, um, you're better in one-on-one -on -one situations and settings rather than one to many. So knowing that gives us a lot more, words and um, structure how we approach our professional development so when i know i'm such a people person people are drawn to me how can i focus in on that so rather than being behind the computer and doing just numbers i need to be an account manager i need to talk to people i need to do business development because this is where i naturally shine so yeah brand archetype quiz free 
and see what's what's out there <laughs> so useful to understand yourself okay this yeah. podcast called life lessons one thing i've started asking everyone at the end is if you could take all of your experience and all of the expertise that you've built up to professionals that want to do better and and be known for things what would be the one lesson that you would want to impart to those people um the one thing would be to simply start taking action because we can have all the thoughts and ideas in our head but before we don't have the actual experience the hands-on experience we don't know if it's any good or not like i can think so many times how good it would be to swim in the ocean but if i've actually never swam in the ocean I don't know that there are waves, that it's rough, that it's salty everywhere. So it's hard to describe that. Simply taking this one action and then see, oh, it was actually not too bad, building your confidence as you go. Um, and not and focusing on the journey, not on the outcome. Because I can say I want to have 10 speaking engagements in the next month, but I might just get one. So I disappoint myself. It's not in my control because the speakers may have been booked already. The conference may have been canceled. I don't know what happened, but what I can control is I have to pitch myself to 50 different opportunities. And if I get five or 10 of them tick in the box, I can control how many actions I take, but I can't control the outcome. And this is also what we focus on more on um, activity or action-based goal setting rather than outcome goals, goals, because it might take you in a different path that you wouldn't have considered. But simply by exploring it's like, oh, wow, this is actually so much better than this direction that I thought it would be. Do it. Cover the ground. <laughs> get the experience. Learn from your mistakes. And then keep doing it. Absolutely. And enjoy the journey. And, you know, work out loud saying, total belly flop. What I just did is, but this is what I learned. And this is what I'm doing next time. It just shows that you're human. <laughs> Absolutely. I really enjoyed this conversation. I've got a, a page full of takeaways and I think I need to go away and think about my content pillars. If anybody wants yes. to work with you, how can they best get hold of you? Best to connect with me on LinkedIn. If you want to listen to more podcasts, since we are on a podcast show, I've got the Trusted Authority, the podcast show. Also, we've got 103 episodes out there and it's just you know, a good resource to binge listen and to get a bit of an experience what this whole concept is all about. Could I resonate with that? What's you know, her personality, like that's the best way. <laughs> Petra, thanks so much. I really appreciate your time. This has been a fantastic conversation. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. I love the show. So keep that up for another 7,700, 7,000 episodes. <laughs> Let's hope so. Thanks. Thanks.